We are in Philippians 2, the first 11 verses this morning as we look at the attitude of joy. So amazing that God gives us himself. (laughs) Why shouldn't there be a joy that flows out of us? Uh, Turn with me, uh, Philippians 2. I want to read the first 11 verses of the chapter and ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read aloud. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should... Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, how wonderful it is. Together and elevate you, God. I thank you for um, these gifted musicians just loving you with their voices and their lives. And thank you that we too can join in, Father. And just worship you. Father, that's what we need is you. We complicate everything, Father. How gracious you are to us. That you don't turn us away when we run your direction. But you love us. Father, you are truly the one who has exhibited what real love's about. And Father, as we look this morning at the attitude of joy, yet we still want to focus on you. Because without you, Lord, there's no reason to meet. So Father, we just exalt you. I pray, Father, that you take the weakness of my words and Holy Spirit invite you to speak. Beyond anything I could ever say. May your word come alive as you promise. And speak to our hearts. That we may leave here saying Jesus is awesome. We love him. So just have your way in us master. In Christ's wonderful name. We pray. Amen. Paul begins his message in Philippians 2. As he thinks about those people he's grown to love so dearly. Ten years ago, he started the church at Philippi. As he sits in that prison cell, he thinks about how difficult it is to live in the world and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You know, someone has said the, the goal is that the church is in the world and not the world in the church. It's so easy to come and to play church, but our call is not to play church. Our call is to be the church. 
And so he opens up and as he speaks to these dear brothers from this prison cell, he, he says, guys, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. He says, if Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life, if you found purpose and meaning, he says, if any comfort from his love, how precious. I love that picture in the, as Jesus tells about the lost son that the father's waiting. But he runs toward the son and he opens his arms and, and he showers him with affection. He doesn't care so much about where he's been. He just wants to comfort him. There's comfort in Christ. And he says, if any fellowship with the Spirit, how wonderful that we can spend time in the presence of God, with God. If any tenderness and compassion. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose. He says, guys, I want you to have this same mindset, this same attitude, this same way of thinking. Now, what is the most Christ-like trait? Well, we have discussion as we look at the different traits. And, of course, what comes to mind is love. And Jesus said, they're going to know that you follow me by the way you love each other. And so certainly love is in the discussion. Or maybe patience. Uh, Romans 12, he says, be patient in affliction. And boy, that is one true sign of God at work when we're patient. I do not like patience. I have this ability to always find the longest line at the grocery store at Walmart. It is godly to see someone who is patient. Maybe it's forgiveness. I mean, why not? All of us, if we're honest, we know we're a mess. I remember one time that we were preparing to go to a Billy Graham crusade when Cindy and I were in Long Island, New York, and uh, the speaker, David Hawking, he said, guys, nobody really knows the depth of what's going on in other people's lives. He said, by the way, if you knew what the person next to you was thinking, you might just get up and leave. And we all kind of laughed. But the truth of the matter is, nobody knows the extent of what, what they're dealing with. And, and some people just live with such deep regret and just long to be forgiven and long to be received. I think of Proverbs 19.22 that says, what a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. We want to be loved. Which means we need to be forgiven. Which leads us, maybe grace is that trait. Grace is getting not what we deserve, but what we so desperately need. God's forgiveness, His mercy, His patience, His love, His forgiveness poured out on us according to the fact we need it. Not that we deserve it because none of us deserve it. But in this particular passage, as we look at the attitude of grace, whereas all these are vital, of course, to following Jesus, that is not the focal point of the passage here. Uh, matter of fact, the focal point, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to the end of the chapter, we have Jesus, the only time in our scriptures, describing himself. How did Jesus describe himself? Well, let's look at the text. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. The trait is humility. And how is humility carried out? It's carried out in unselfishness. It is carried out in not me always having to be the center of attention, but in being able to see beyond myself to others. It was said of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, that they had a conference where the leadership of the Salvation Army came together, and this was in the days when William Booth was alive, and, and but he was sick, and he couldn't come to the conference, and he was supposed to be the main speaker, and he, he sent a telegram and when the telegram arrived, it, it was meant to be encouragement. And the telegram consisted of only one word. And the word was others. You see, as you look at the power of God, and as you look at the attitude of joy, it is unselfishness. It is looking beyond me outward to others. Miss Ruth Harper, and we want to continue to remember her in prayer, is... She recovers from back surgery. What a, a dear saint that we all love. And one of her favorite songs that has been sung here that was, uh, of course, I believe a, a favorite song of her, her husband is the song Others. It's a hymn. And listen to the words. In such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I may live like thee, help me in all the work I do, to ever be sincere and true, and know that I, all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep, and all in vain may efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And he closes, And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Isn't that beautiful? Thinking of others. That, that, that is the mindset. It is a sense of unselfishness. Now, does that mean that we all have to be carbon copies of each other? That if you're not just like me, then you're less. Oh, baloney. God did, God's, he's fun. He made you, didn't he? And he made me. Yeah. We're all kind of nuts, right? But it's part of the beauty of who God is and in his creation. We don't all have to be just alike. I, I remember uh, years ago we... We were at my wife's uh, hometown and went to her church. And uh, there was a pastor. It was really concerning us. 
because he was a charismatic type leader and it seemed like people were beginning to follow him in a way that I did not feel good about. It was too much following the man. And, and he, had this, uh, he had this little air freshener called, I think it's called Nip It. And it, what was it, honey? Banaka, thank you. It's called Banaka. And Banaka, it was in a little bottle. And every once in a while, uh, this preacher, he'd take his little bottle of Banaka and he'd go, put it on his tongue. And when he did that, there was a huge number of people out in the congregation that took out their little bottle of Banaka. I thought, what in the world is going on here? They were just copying one another. Thank God that it is not necessary for us to be exactly alike. As a matter of fact, God works through our differences for His glory. There's power in that. And we need to learn to love each other, even when at times we might not quite like each other. Right? Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You know the old saying, uh, when she gets mad, she doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. Well, we're not called to be historical and bring those things up. But as he moves on here and as he talks about unselfishness, as he talks about others, I, I want you to see first in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2 here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. He says, guys, you should not always be the subject of every sentence. You should not always be where the attention goes. It shouldn't be merely for self-advancement. That's not how it should work. But we should look to the interest of others, not in vain conceit. You know what I thought of? Of course, this tells a lot about my age. When I thought about vain conceit, all I could think of was that Carly Simon song. I don't know if you remember. You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you. Don't you? Don't you? You're so vain. It was funny. I I looked that up this morning. I thought, who is she singing about? Well, see, that's my sense. I wanted to know who that vain person was. You know, she never told anybody. People thought, well, maybe it was her husband, James Taylor. Maybe it was the guy who did background, some guy named Mick Jagger. Uh, I think they had a, a, a dated for a short... I don't know who it was, and she didn't tell anybody. But the whole point was, her view of this person was, he's conceited. Vanity of vanities, you know. That's where it was. That God calls us not to think... Less of ourselves, but here's the goal, to think of ourselves less. Did you catch it? Not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. To have a sense of confidence and identity in the fact that you were made by God, and He loves you, and that you count, and so you don't have to be so wrapped up in yourself that that's all you think about. So that you begin to think about yourself less. I read a story in preparing of this of uh, some people on a bus, and there was this lady, and she was very upset. And as she cried and cried and cried, the person next to her said, What's the matter? What happened? And she said, I was robbed. 
guy came by and he, he ran off of my purse that had half my money. He said, fortunately, she said, I put the other half of my money, I hid it on my person and my dress. And so I've still got that, but she cried and she cried. Finally, she took out a piece of cheese bread that she had. She began to eat on that cheese bread. Then a man came and sat on the bus. He obviously didn't have a lot of money either. Uh, he wore tattered clothes. And then the man came by to check tickets. <laughs> he didn't have a ticket. And so there be- became an argument. And he said, look, I got on the wrong bus. And so I, I don't have a ticket. And I don't have any money. But I have to get home. And, and he got in this argument with the driver. And the driver said, you have to have money. Or you have to have a ticket. Or you have to get off this bus. And this went back and forth for a while. And then this lady jumps up and she said, Listen, can't you see that this man is elderly? He's not well. He's already told you he doesn't have any money. Quit being mean to him. You're mean, 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 mean. And then she reaches in, takes out her money and says, Here, here's enough money for the ticket. Take it. And then she said, Are you okay, hon? She sat there and then she took a piece of her cheese bread and gave it to him. And suddenly she had a smile on her face where once there were tears for the rest of the trip. What happened? Her mind was taken off of herself to someone else. That spirit of unselfishness was displayed in that particular occasion. The classic illustration of this, as we see in the Scriptures, is Jesus. Look in our text here and Verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I think in the, um, I'm still in the 1978 version of the NIV. Some of you who follow along the NIV probably have the latest. Uh, and uh, But in, in the latest one, I think it says, uh, minds, in your relationships have this mindset. Uh, this attitude, this mindset. Jesus is the one we follow. You see, Jesus is the one who exhibited, who demonstrated unselfishness he fully gave himself and as we look at the scriptures that follow we see his unselfishness and it begins before he came and took human form before the incarnation then there's his earthly ministry and then there's a time after his earthly ministry when he returns to heaven as we look in our scripture he says who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, and co-existent. He's God. Fully God. And yet, He took on human form. As the Scripture here tells us, He did not consider equality with something to be grasped, even though he was equal. He made himself nothing. So, uh, I think in the King James says, he emptied himself, became of no reputation. The the picture here is not that he emptied himself, that he became nothing and, and thus lost his deity, lost the fact that he's God. But that he chose to put upon himself limitations of humanity. Notice how it says it in the scriptures here. He took the very nature of a servant. You see, he should be served, but he chose to be a servant. It says in the scriptures, um, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
He was made in human likeness. And then it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You see, fully God, but he made a decision to put limits upon himself as he stepped into humanity, as he took human form, as he was in appearance as a man, being as one of us, and yet fully God. That was his work. And then he goes on, and and it, it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What, what was his work? What was his ministry? What, what was the perfect demonstration of unselfishness? As we've sang about and as Miss Annette showed us, it's the cross. It's that, it's that sign of what releases joy is unselfishness, is being willing to let go of, of me in understanding who I am. And, and, and that's Jesus. He, he went to death, and not just any death, a death of a criminal, a, a death that was that was painful beyond belief. He was rejected by his own people. But why did he do it? He did it for others. He did it for you, and he did it for me. Matter of fact, here um, there's a cost. There's a cost to living like that, unselfishness. For Jesus, of course, it cost him his life. What about you? What about me? Is your service to Jesus Christ, does it cost you something? Is it easy? Is it convenient? You see, when we begin to listen for Jesus in our lives, to let Him transform us and work in us, He grabs a hold of our schedule and changes that schedule. He says to take up my cross. And, and he says to follow me. And you see that's the call. And, and there is a cost to that. And then I want you to notice after that ministry was completed. After the cross. It says. Um, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this giving, this unselfishness, it ended in exaltation by our Lord. He was given that name above every name. And every knee will bow. Those people upon the earth, they will bow to him. For he is king of kings and he's lord of lords. Those that are in heaven, the angels, they bow before his presence and, and they worship him. And, and those believers that, have, that are in the presence now in heaven, they worship him in that place. And then it says, notice, under the earth. Even those who chose not to worship Jesus Christ, even those who refuse to give him the glory, who refuse to recognize his name, who refuse to bow their knee, they will bow. And it's not like that there's this continuous rebellion that will happen in hell. It's not like there's this continued guerrilla warfare and fighting. It will be a settled issue that all will bow before him 
regardless of whether they choose to or not. It is his name, it is his person that will be recognized to the glory of God the Father. You see, we can't play around with his lordship. The question is not, will I bow to him? The question is not, is his name the name above every name? The question is, will I bow? The question is, will I recognize his name? You see, to go to heaven, to be right with God in all of eternity, happens now. Happens in this life. Once you die, there's not some second chance. There's not some waiting period and then you get to try it again. When you hear the message of Jesus that he came, that he left heaven, that he put limits of mankind upon himself, and he died upon a cross in the most unselfish way of all for others, for you and me, and then he was raised to new life through the resurrection, and now he's at the right hand of the Father sitting to be worshipped and to be honored and to be revered. Guys, that's where he is. And our call is that we recognize Him. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to forgiveness. There's no other way to hope than the way of the cross, than the way of the resurrection, than Jesus. That is why your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, the servant. That is the call. Micah 6.8 says, How, O man, has the Lord showed you what is good? Is but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So do you walk with Him? Have you taken that first step? Guys, we don't, we don't want to leave here without just urging you, if you haven't taken that first step in the walk with God that He wants you to have, don't miss that. Let's pray. Father, it is always good to be with you. And the message of the cross never becomes tired tired and old. Because it is the message of hope. And it is the reminder of your perfect love. That you were willing to look to the needs of others. My needs. The needs of the brothers and sisters. The people here. And, and that's why you came. And that's why you chose to enter humanity. And that's why the cross happened. So that we might have forgiveness. You start. And know the love and grace and mercy. That's available that you want people to have. Father may we just catch a hold of that father. And those of us who have received that. Father may it just stir within us your joy. That people might see. You. And father for those who haven't taken that first step. In a walk with you. Why not today? Why not this moment? Father, we just ask that you just speak to hearts, God. And that as we leave here, we might say, God spoke to me. In Christ's name we pray.